Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Big 5D podcast. I'm Charles Laughlin, your host, and I'm also a co-founder of Big 5 Digital. Today's show features another interview that was originally aired at our virtual Big 5 Small Business FinTech Summit. Today, we talked to Faras Ahmad, the group CEO of AzamPay. That's a payments platform in East Africa that's a division of Azam Group, which is a major East African industrial conglomerate. So Firas is a very deep thinker about fintech in Africa, and our conversation centered around his views on mobile money. Firas somewhat provocatively argues that the success of mobile money on the continent is in some respects also a curse because there isn't sufficient incentive for the mobile money players to innovate. And that lack of continuous innovation threatens to hold back the development of fintech in Africa. So I'll let Firas explain the rest. Before we get into the interview, I want to encourage you to sign up for a free trial of our new newsletter on Substack. It's called the Africa SMME Tech Report. I'll admit that's not a very poetic name, but it's very uh, very descriptive of what we do cover in the newsletter. So what you can do is you can go on Substack and just search for the Africa SMME Tech Report, or you can just type in the URL ctlaughlin.substack.com. That's C-T-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N dot substack dot com. Anyone who signs up automatically gets a 30-day free trial of our paid version. And you can always just sign up for the free version, which will include a fair amount of uh, solid content. We will have a lot of bonus content that's strictly under the paid subscription, which is very inexpensive. So you can find also this podcast on Substack, but we'll also continue to syndicate the podcast everywhere you normally get a podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. So anyway, enough with the commercials. Let's move on to our interview with Firas. Okay, welcome back, everyone. And uh, here we go with um, a short uh, fireside chat with uh, Firas Ahmad, who's a CEO of AzamPay. And Firas, why don't you just tell us quickly kind of what your, just a little bit about you, your journey to becoming a fintech founder in Africa, and then a little bit about your company, and then we'll get into uh, sure. some, some, some issues. Sure. Thanks, first, Charles. Thanks so much to you for inviting me on here. Very happy to, and honored to be here. Um, my journey was uh, an interesting one. Basically, um, Azam Pay is uh, kind of a sister company to the Azam Group, which is a well-known manufacturing conglomerate in, in based in Tanzania, but operating in many parts of East Africa and, and South Africa. And the idea is it has a very strong consumer brand. And we thought, well, how can we leverage that consumer brand in the technology space? And so what I was, uh, I, I discussed with, with some of the owners of the group, and we ultimately decided on moving on a kind of a payments and commerce ecosystem around which we could leverage that brand in the consumer marketplace and build a series of products that not only supported the Azam group in terms of how they reach their consumers and do their business, uh, but also open that platform up to other manufacturers, distributors, and small businesses. So we could help build an ecosystem around digital commerce and digital payments that integrated some features we felt were being uh, ignored um, in, generally in the digital space or digital economy in that part of the world. Okay. So, I'm sorry. I just dropped something. Uh, could you talk about what those, uh, those things that were being ignored is just very quickly? Yeah, sure. So uh, let me give you a couple of use cases. Um, one one interesting use case we found was, um, you know, let's say you wanted to order 50 bags of flour from, mm -hmm. say, the Azam Group. 
So what uh, the system that was in place was you would call the salesperson, get a quote uh, in terms of the price. That quote would then be, um, they would request that you deposit that amount of money in a particular bank account, okay? Then from that bank account, you could uh, take a picture of the receipt from the bank account and send it back to the salesperson who would then put that receipt on a Skype thread to the finance department. Then the finance department would look up on a, on a computer, the online banking tool and see whether or not the receipt matched. And then it would then go on another Skype thread to the shipping department. And we saw a lot of inefficiencies, not that some companies weren't dealing with that, but some of the tools around building some efficiencies around managing payments, managing commerce were not there. Uh, we saw some segmentation in the mo mobile money space in particular, where there was a lot of incentives for P2P payments, person-to-person mm -hmm. uh, -person transfers, but not a lot of uh, segmentation or incentives for businesses to start transacting digitally. So if you look at some of the fee structures, if you look at some of the restrictions around mobile money payments, um, we felt that they weren't really being tailored to this B2B market. So being part of a large group that dealt with a lot of distributors and wholesalers, we felt we were in a good position to start to build uh, products and, um, and and like this, like I said, this ecosystem around managing payments for businesses uh, and helping facilitate their business operations better uh, using digital technologies. Okay, okay. So what we kind of one of the reasons we thought it'd be fun to talk to you was you've written some stuff recently. Uh, you mm -hmm. have a Substack uh, newsletter, I guess. Um, right. Uh, Substack's awesome, by the way. I, I, Keep me right. to launch yeah. something. <laughs> um, sure. The uh, and you kind of had this point of view around um, mobile money, uh, right? And kind of, you know, you acknowledge sort of what the gaps it's filled, um, mm -hmm. but you sort of point out some some reasons why it has some some fairly significant limitations. And I'd like you to talk yes. about that a little bit and kind of why mobile money. You know, what's good, what's bad about it, and, and maybe what the future. Uh, looks like around mobile money or what it should look like. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I, I, I do. First of all, mobile money, I think it's a fantastic innovation. I think it's one of the greatest financial innovations um, of the last 20 years anywhere in the world. Uh, if you look at the way mobile money has created a wholly independent set of rails that are specifically and uniquely addressing the needs of consumers in emerging market economies. So we'll set that aside. But what I do think is there are some shortcomings that also need to be addressed as we develop the mobile money infrastructure and build on top of what's already there. Uh, and so a couple of, uh, of the issues I raised was around going beyond what we actually addressed a little bit earlier around P2P payments or transferring money from one place to another. What the mobile money networks are actually very good at is taking money from one place and moving it to another place managing for risk, managing for theft, managing for uh, security. It, it gives a little bit of peace of mind to the con consumer that they can move money quickly and efficiently at a particular cost. And in some cases, that's a fantastic cost. So I, I give you an example. Let's say if I wanted to, before mobile money, if I wanted to send money to my mother in a village, it would take me uh, a weekend and a bus ticket to get there, drop the physical cash off, and then come back. Okay. With mobile money, it takes literally a few seconds and maybe one to 2%, up to 3% of that transaction value, depending on the the, the, the amount of value. So for that, it, it, let's say you're sending 100,000 shillings, say in, in Tanzanian shillings, and it costs you 3,000 to make that transaction, much cheaper than a weekend bus ticket to visit right. your mother. Okay? So that's a great value. But at the same time, when we start looking at 
the vast majority of commerce in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and we look at uh, point of sale transactions, particularly where you know, 90 to 90% of commerce happens around these point of sale transactions. So you go to a shop, you buy your daily consumables, you go to a bus station, you buy a ticket, et cetera, et cetera. Still 90 to 95% of these transactions are taking place in cash, okay? Despite the fact that mobile money has been around for 10 to 12 years, right? So there's high adoption amongst transactions that are taking place where you are not present at the time of that purchase where, where the product is being purchased. So for example, airtime, for example, uh, satellite TV services, for example, bill payments for say electricity. You don't, it's much more convenient to pay with mobile money than it is to uh, go to the office and pay in cash. So really what mobile money has solved is a convenience factor, a tremendous convenience factor that has unlocked a lot of value for uh, these emerging economies. But what I'm, what I'm arguing in that Substack article and what I've been arguing for the last uh, few years is what's the next step for mobile money? Now, if you look at, say, credit cards, which essentially mobile money has obviated the need for in economies like uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, particularly in East Africa, people don't use credit cards. They, they generally use mobile money. Uh, but at the same time, credit cards have their values. So, right. for example, uh, one of the examples I brought up in that article was around rental equipment. Let's say I want to rent a car. Okay, With a credit card, I swipe the card. The bank is already validating my credit worthiness by giving me that card. They're telling me that this is a reliable customer. You can rent him a car, which might be worth $10,000 or $12,000, but you're only purchasing $200 of value from that car, say, for two days of rental. Okay. Uh, by using mobile money, I don't have any method of ensuring that that value is still in the mobile money account when I return the car. Whereas with a credit card, they can simply charge the credit card company and then the credit card company and the bank issuing bank are then responsible for going and getting that payment from the customer later on. So it creates this, this uh, risk mitigation mechanism, which is very critical for uh, allowing transactions and commerce to take place. Uh, for different types of use cases that mobile money is still not in a place where it needs to be. And so I think uh, part of uh, part of the issue is is getting mobile money to think beyond P2P and to start looking at these other use cases and maybe even borrowing from the credit card use case or other use cases and other transactions so and building that out. Part of what you're saying that maybe I'm, um, I'm inferring, but uh, that mobile money has in a way sort of slowed the adoption of credit cards or some similar mechanism in the economies? Well, that... I wouldn't say that's a negative thing. So I would say, yes, they have probably slowed the adoption. And I think that's probably positive because if you look at the costs around managing credit cards, it's very high interchange fees, acquiring bank fees, network fees, et cetera, et cetera. That's the bad part of a credit card, right. okay? Uh, but at the same time, the good parts of the credit card could, those values could be incorporated into more money. And I think one of the reasons it's not happening, and this is my criticism of the industry in general, is mobile money is a fantastic business right now. If you look at most of the mobile money wallets in, in East Africa, even obviously in Kenya, you have Safaricom, in Tanzania, you have uh, M-Pesa, you have Airtel, you have Tigo. They're making very good, uh, it's a great business. They're making a lot of money doing P2P transfers. Mm -hmm. So the prop, what happens when you have large businesses that make a lot of money and are generating a lot of profits, they tend to not innovate. In fact, they're disincentivizing from innovating because Ultimately, it's just a quarterly, uh, you know, you, you want to make your quarterly sales goals. You want to get your bonuses. You want to get your, you know, your, your, your stock prices up. So as a result, looking at other opportunities becomes less of a priority. And so um, my, my, my argument would be that 
it's in fact this overwhelming success of mobile money that in some ways now creating a bit of an impediment for it to then now start to innovate beyond some of the initial use cases that made it so successful. So, so I, I think it's it really need, it, there's a time of, of innovation that needs to, a second round of innovation that needs to happen. Sorry. And you're saying that it's success in a way is um, disincentivizing the innovation that's required. Is that sort of what you're saying? Or? It, it is to a, to a certain extent. I think it is. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in part, some of these, uh, many of the decisions made on mobile money, uh, so, let me give you a good example. And, and even it's somewhat of a structural constraint. So, uh, let me give an example. We we at, at Azam Pay, we've built out a B2P commerce engine called Sarafu. It's essentially a distribution platform similar to what you might find, say, in China, a very scaled down version of Alibaba, mm -hmm. where small businesses can go and get their supplies online. We deliver them last mile logistics to the to the door of the customer. OK, now that's an innovation that's created a lot of value for many of these small shops. Uh, and it really fundamentally works because the payments are digital, right? We are allowing, uh, we're only allowing digital payments to ensure kind of the um, uh, control of pricing and control of fraud and things like that. Okay. Now, I can't imagine an uh, a, a, M&O uh, operating a digital wallet would go into delivery of products. They're not going to open up warehouses. They're not going to do deliveries of the last mile consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not an innovation I would expect them to do, right? But I, I guess the point I'm making is, without having that experience and without understanding the nuances of that type of business, some of these MNOs are not adjusting themselves to that reality. Okay, so if you look at the fee structures, if you look at the way that they've segmented the market, in fact, there's very little incentive for anyone to digitally trade wholesale goods on mobile money platforms because the charges are simply too high, right. okay? Um, so as a result, they're not interested in that business, right? They're never going to go into last mile delivery. Therefore, they're not, they don't really care about it as much as they would if they were in that business. And as a result, then you have innovation that tries to come, come in and work on those payment rails and then run into obstacles or issues with some of these payments players who are maybe resistant to those ideas because it doesn't kind of feed into the uh, business that they're currently uh, creating a lot of value from. Okay. So, um, so my, my uh, I mean, the, the general question for me is, how does your network that your phone runs on have anything to do with the wallet that you carry? For me, these are two, two totally different things. If I have a Airtel cell phone, why do I then have to have an Airtel money wallet? Why can't I be interacting with M-Pesa? Because right. that's giving me a better value, right? So there's these, some of these artificial barriers to commerce that prop up because of some of these things. And, and I think the industry is developing and, and I give Tanzania a lot of credit for the tip system they're building uh, and they hope to launch this year where they interoperate everybody uh, together on an even platform. So I think that's definitely something that uh, will help. And you've seen that in India, right? Where you've had this interoperable platform uh, develop uh, to, to support these types of transactions. Okay. And innovation. So, so quickly, um, I want to get out of kind of a lightning round of topics before we finish, but quickly sort of a couple of thoughts of what you think needs to sort of touch down on it, I think, but, just to summarize, a couple of things you think need to change in order to make money, mobile money sort of more what you envision it should be. Okay, so a couple of things that we that that could change. I, I mean, we we are uh, working on some of these changes ourselves uh, in Azam Pay, and we're actually planning on launching Azam Pesa, which is a mobile wallet. Um, uh, we've just received the regulatory compliance uh, from the regulator. Mm -hmm. So in doing so, what we hope to do is, uh, like I said, look at some of these use cases for mobile money 
that aren't really addressed in the existing kind of uh, segmentation of the market. So one definitely would be B2B wholesale payments. How do we make those viable as a business for other uh, players who want to go into that space? Um, another area where I think is really trust. So if you look at the way business is done, there's so many of these small marketplace sellers. They open up Instagram accounts. They open up Facebook accounts. They open up WhatsApp accounts. And they sell products on those platforms. But there's no way of managing the payments. What ends up happening is they find customers and then they meet them in the street and then they exchange cash, right? Why? Because there is no trust. There's a trust breakdown in the system. So for me, really one of the big uh, um, kind of advances for mobile money right now is to look at trust as a critical feature of the system. Instead of focusing on the payment transaction as in moving the money from point A to point B, how do you build trust between unknown actor A and unknown actor B? And how do you build that trust so they can, they can transact without physically being present together, right? When that starts to happen, and you create products and tools for businesses and small people, you know, anybody running, maybe they're a designing, designing clothes and they might be selling, say, in Dar es Salaam. They could never sell in Arusha because they're not going to take trips to Arusha to sell. Right. But if you can create a system or a platform where that that person can then sell to a customer in Arusha, all of a sudden the market for that person's products has increased tenfold. And in, in fact, maybe or the price in, or the value that they can yeah, create yeah. increases tenfold. Yeah. yeah. And, and so these... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So th these types of innovations, I think, need to happen. And this mindset has to shift from mobile money being a transaction tool to mobile being a mobile money being a trust building tool. And that's, I think, where the value of credit cards has come in for uh, right. consumer economies in, in the US and Europe, right? It really mitigates that need for trust. In fact, PayPal itself is the best example. People started doing e-commerce and they were afraid of putting their credit card online. PayPal said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. Just use your email and we'll take right. care of everything else. Right, right. And it, that's how it blew up. So this type of stuff is not happening yet in, in, uh, in, in mobile money. I mean, it's happening to a certain extent, but I think it can be turbocharged. And also, I think what really requires is some of the operators involved in that commerce business, the digital commerce business, to start working more closely with the mobile money providers uh, to make that happen. Okay, that's okay. That's really, really, really great insight. And I think maybe that conversation isn't happening enough. So I'm glad to have you on to talk about that. I just wanted to take sure. we have a couple minutes left. And I just wanted to, just for fun, kind of throw a, a word at you or a phrase or and just get you to get sure. a quick hot take on it. So I'm going to start with sure. big banks, you know, all this specific to the region, of course. Uh, big banks, I think, uh, like I referred to before, trust. I think people at the consumer level don't trust and they need to build better trust with their consumers. And, and one thing I would say in particular is nickel and dime fees. People hate yeah. nickel and dime fees. And one of the reasons they avoid some of the banks is because they're afraid of them. They don't know what's going to happen to their account. Okay. All right. Crypto. Yeah, crypto is interesting. You know, I think as a hedge against inflation, it makes it, it might make a lot of sense. But I haven't seen the application in Africa outside of cross-border transactions. I can see cross-border as making a lot of sense, particularly when you don't need to convert from currency to currency. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in in the country, I, I want someone to explain to me what exactly the use case is that it can be used for. I mean, Bitcoin for sure, you cannot do Bitcoin transactions for point-of-sale transactions. It's not going right. to happen uh, anytime soon. But uh, I'm, I'm open to it, but I'm not... 
I haven't seen a great application for non-cross-border or non-hedge applications. Okay. VCs, and maybe a little context, just sort of what, uh, what, uh, what role are they playing and what role should they be playing in, in the uh, fintech environment in the region? Yeah, so VCs is interesting. I think a lot of the VC, uh, I mean, a big chunk of the VC capital in, in sub-Saharan Africa is from companies that are not based in Africa or coming from capital that's say from the US, US or Europe. Right. I think that's great. I think people should be investing in Africa and I think it's fantastic that there's interest. At the same time, uh, sometimes I feel like there's a bit of a disconnect between the um, understanding of the market on the part of the VCs and the reality on the ground. Uh, so many times, I mean, I, I have we haven't taken any VC money. Uh, we are funded from the group itself, so we don't have that problem. But what I've seen a lot is uh, VCs having particular agendas, uh, and not that they're bad agendas, but they just have particular agendas because that's how they, they fund their funds, and they don't always match with the reality on the ground. So you have people building businesses to satisfy the VC uh, requirement, but it doesn't really match the on-the-ground reality. So I think there, there should be some communication there. The, the second thing I would say about VCs is I really hope to see some exits for some African founders such that they can build their own VCs internally, because the best VC is the one that lives the product that, that you're trying to build. Uh, that's my experience. Um, yeah. That, quickly, I was having that conversation with uh, another group we were uh, talking with earlier. And um, yeah, the, the, the Paystack was a big one, right? And but the, you need more right. of these to kind of model that that sort of vision that there's that kind of outcome available. And then uh, to your point. Absolutely. And, and I think, no, absolutely. And, and I, one thing to add there, you know, I think there is a lot of old capital in Africa that's not going to understand how to invest in startups and tech. Okay. Right. And I, I wouldn't expect them to. They, in fact, the reason they are successful as quote unquote older capital is because they didn't do crazy things like that. The ones that did crazy things like never survived. Right. So I would say it's really incumbent upon the, the, the younger people who understand the tech world to be the ones that push this type of investment and then mentor the companies that come up, you know, be involved, be on the boards, advise the, the, the startup founders, mentor them. I, I think it's very, very important because that's how we, I think we'll see a lot of success in this space. Okay. We're going to have to end it there. We're uh, running sure. a little long, actually, but that's okay because it was fun. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, I'm sure the audience will uh, want to interact with you. Um, Sure. So, but you know, you can look up your company, or uh, I'm sure they can find you on LinkedIn if they're interested. Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. That's that's for sure. Thank you so much, Charles. It was a great conversation. Uh, glad to be on here. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye.